Welcome to the Better Buildings Podcast, Canada's conversation about opportunities for improvement in the built environment. Better Buildings is presented by Canadian Consulting Engineer Magazine. I am the magazine's editor, Peter Saunders, and I'm here today with David Heska of WSP. David, it's very nice to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, happy to be here. This is exciting for us. It's the first time we've done this. David, why don't you start out and tell us a little bit about yourself and what keeps you busy at WSP? So I uh, am a professional engineer working in the windows industry and uh, building envelopes as well as uh, other sorts of building repairs, concrete, brick and all the rest of that. So uh, I am the director for our Southwestern Ontario group, which uh, includes Kitchener, Hamilton, a bit of Oakville and Windsor. So that's a bit about me. And uh, yeah, WSP is obviously a Canadian-based global engineering company, and uh, we've worked on a wide array of projects uh, across Canada and around the world. Great. We're speaking about building envelope commissioning today, and it's a topic we've been hearing about a lot in our industry. Why do you think it's so important? Building commissioning is uh, something that's needed because, unfortunately, most buildings don't perform as they're designed to. We do thermal modeling on the computers, but then we also do physical testing in the laboratories to confirm what the computer simulations say. So the same principle applies just on a larger building scale. Uh, We have been doing uh, computer simulations, but the push has not been there until more recently to actually commission the buildings and walk through the building process with kind of a second set of eyes and then also make sure after a year or five years that it's actually performing as intended. So we, the the purpose of building commissioning is to help make sure that the building is constructed as designed and then performs as it's been simulated to perform. So tell us more about how that process actually plays out in comparison to that early testing and simulation. What are they doing as they're going through the building? Let me me back up even one step because there's, multiple commissioning standards and none of them are the standard. You might hear people talk about the commissioning ASHRAE standard or the commissioning ASTM standard or the commissioning standard that the NIBS, National Institute of Building Sciences, has produced. And there's unfortunately right now no one standard that has risen above them all, I guess. The most common one is the NIBS guideline three that lead version four refers to, but uh, there's no, they're all out there. And so when we have clients who ask us, can you provide commissioning services? Sometimes they don't even know what they're asking for. So they have to, um, we go back and forth multiple times to say, are you looking for just the fundamental basic commissioning? Are you looking for enhanced commissioning or are you looking for enhanced plus maybe we want to call it where you want a consultant engineer like us to be involved um, in the process more and more. And I guess the question that also raises is do you as a firm offer that as a menu or suite of services that are possible for your clients so it doesn't necessarily depend upon which standard is in play so much as you being able to provide that value-added service to them and say here are the various levels of commissioning we can do for you and here's why? Exactly. And so in uh, the most basic level, commissioning 
takes you through looking at the construction process using the checklists and functional tests out in the field, tracking logs, but then it can increase as much to include reviewing uh, a few or all of the shop drawings and submittals that are required, attending multiple site meetings, uh, being there for all of the field testing, um, and actually on a more complicated basis, sometimes the designer consultant can also sometimes be the commissioning agent. So I'll just define maybe the two teams right now. There's always going to be the client, obviously, and maybe more traditionally, 20 years ago, it was typically the hire, the client then hired a builder who had uh, architect, structural engineer, mechanical engineer, building envelope designer on their team, helping the architect and working together with the builder who they've hired. Now we've added this extra person into the mix. And sometimes it is a, a extra individual. Sometimes it's a person who wears two hats. And so now there's a client plus the commissioning agent on one side, if you want to say at the table. And on the other side of the table is the builder with their architect, with their building envelope designer and their mechanical and electrical designer. So the commissioning agent represents the client and they need to work together around the table on the team with the original architect, the original building envelope designer, the original mechanical and electrical designer. And do you feel there's a framework for that process to ensure it never feels like a waste of time for anybody? Yes. And so the, the guidelines obviously define what the commissioning agent is to do and what the commissioning agent is not to do. So one example is the commissioning agent typically points out things that uh, may not be performing or were not constructed on site as they needed to be. But then the commissioning agent typically kind of stops and they maybe diagnose the problem, but they pass the ball back to the designer and the architect and the builder to say, okay, now you need to solve the problem that uh, it wasn't constructed in accordance with these drawings or there was a complication that resulted. So the design team needs to come up with uh, a change. It's uh, rare for the commissioning agents to put on their designer hat. That doesn't happen. The commissioning agent is the one who kind of points out the, um, the flaws maybe as the process goes along and things that need to be improved. And then the builder, architect, and uh, designer, they work together to uh, resolve that. And would you say that within that process, there's an increasing emphasis on the building envelope in particular? There definitely is. And so uh, the it first started 15, 20 years ago with the HVAC and mechanical commissioning. And that's actually where some of the WSP services were first out of that. We had a great team of doing all of that type of commissioning. And then it led even into more kind of, which included air balancing and ongoing measurement of the mechanical systems and training on site operations staff who were sometimes tweaking uh, and not uh, allowing the boilers or other heating systems to function as designed. They would override it in various cases. So that was where it started. Then next came the roofing commissioning with roof leak detection, infrared scanning, things like that. And then more recently, the full building air leakage testing is becoming more popular 
with Passive House, Toronto Green Standard, the BC Step Code, um, all of those items are now resulting in not just mechanical commissioning, but entire building commissioning being uh, more popular. And what is the scope of focus on a building's windows and doors, for example? Yeah, so all of the uh, air and water testing for doors and windows um, happens in the field. And on retrofit projects, some consultants, largely like us, had been specifying to not just have the reports from laboratories produced and given to us at the startup of a replacement project of a 30-year-old building, but we also would put into our specifications that uh, testing needs to be done out there in the field. That was not necessarily done on new construction projects. And so this commissioning uh, process is now uh, encouraging and in some cases enforcing the fact that this air water testing doesn't just need to happen in some uh, nice laboratory where conditions are uh, perfect, but it actually you actually need to replicate that testing out in the field so that we have uh, assurance that the way it was modeled and uh, tested in the lab is actually how the um, windows on site are performing. It's interesting to think of it as assurance that the model is working. When the modeled concept is not working in the field, when you're not seeing the energy savings that were predicted, why is that? What are you finding are the common problems? Yeah, so sometimes the common problems are that the we get untested assemblies where only sections of the window wall system were tested individually, but not as an entire system. And so where the components obviously join together, some of those transitions don't obviously uh, sometimes always work perfectly. And in the field, it's not as easy to make the connection. Other times we have seen the argon or krypton gas fill in the IGUs actually not perform as intended. And we found we've had to reject certain uh, pieces of glass because of the lack of uh, fill in the units. And then there's even just smaller things like missing sealant in at different joints. Uh, and so I would say those would be maybe some of the top common encountered issues related to uh, window assemblies on today's buildings. So it's about making sure that everything comes together, that what's been purchased or ordered piecemeal can all be integrated into a system that does do what was promised? Yes, exactly. Can you give some real-world examples then where commissioning was really able to improve performance? Yeah, so there's, I'd say, maybe three projects. I won't give the exact client name. There's a certain university here in Southern Ontario that uh, we have worked with. There is also a uh, hospital in the Toronto area and then a client out on the Western coast uh, in Victoria that we have worked with. So, and, and actually another project out in Newfoundland. So there we're getting calls from obviously various different clients. Most I would say right now are in the public realm, although private clients are also um, deciding to go down the commissioning path and um, sometimes being pushed by different, obviously, standards and step codes and guidelines. So in this university example, I'll say, we have been doing the mechanical work for this client for the past, I think, over 15 years. And they were pleased with the team of mechanical engineers that we had helping them on their new buildings. And 
then all of a sudden they were having issues with whether it was water leakage that was coming into some of their new buildings or poor thermal performance, people complaining about uh, when they sit near the windows, obviously it was colder and not just, not just colder, but extremely cold and uh, unreasonable. And so we would come out after the fact, after the building had been completed and everyone's kind of left, <laughs> there might be a little bit of warranty left, but the, we do an IR scan with our infrared camera and would notice different anomalies and hot spots that showed maybe the blue skin behind was not properly connected or there was a problem with the window system. And eventually after we had done, I don't know the exact number, maybe five or so of these types of projects, the client said, on our next job, we want to hire you and we want you to be involved right from the start to do the actual commissioning process with us so that as the building is being constructed, you're a part of our meetings, you're reviewing the drawings with us, you're getting the submissions because we can spend all of this money at the end of the process after everyone's kind of walked away and it's much more difficult to pull off all of the cladding materials and the windows that were uh, maybe installed with some minor uh, variances that ended up wasting a lot of heat and allowing the obviously poor performance of the building. So now it's in our team actually talking to my colleagues, we enjoy it better maybe working on it as we're able to help them throughout the process build a better building rather than just correct mistakes a year or two or 10 or 15 years after it's been constructed. So is that still considered commissioning when you're taking on more of an early preventative maintenance approach? Yes. And so the, the commissioning, in some of the examples, we are both the commissioning agent and the building envelope consultant on the architect's team. In other cases, we, the consultant may only be the commissioning agent. And then they're just kind of pointing out and uh, pushing back to the designers to say, We've noticed this. The client has hired us uh, as well to help them out. It's, it's basically having a, a second set of eyes involved on the project and working together with us and maybe another uh, building envelope consultant to have not just kind of one, the strength of one team, but having the strength of two teams. And then I would imagine if you're going into an existing building rather than new construction, you'd be able to offer this service even if there wasn't necessarily a retrofit going on, just to measure the performance of an older building on things like energy. Would you be able to go in and sell commissioning almost as a standalone service in that respect, knowing that it therefore might lead to a retrofit? Yes, and uh, I'll, I'll use maybe an example from my own house. When uh, we had our furnace replaced, one of the requirements in order to get one of the rebates, this is two or three years ago, was for us to do blower door tests on our house to see how many air changes per hour, basically how much air loss was resulting from our house. And then we had to do that test after the furnace was replaced in order to get whatever the $1,000 back from the government. Now, new buildings, especially passive house buildings and uh, others using the BC step code, are being uh, are going down the path of doing full building testing, not just one person's residential house, but having the entire building tested to see how many air changes per hour are resulting. So how much 
eras being lost out due to poorly sealed penetrations in the exterior building envelope. And so doing that kind of testing is not uh, very common, I would say, right now on existing buildings. We all know that buildings leak. We just don't have, we haven't maybe quantified using uh, a lot of blower doors and pressurization in buildings to find out exactly what the number is of how many air changes per hour uh, would be happening on these existing buildings. But there are new buildings that are going up that have one or 0.5 or 0.3 air changes per hour. And if you were to test, I forget exactly the number on my house, but I think it was up in like the five or 10 or 15 range. So it's a lot higher. <laughs> and uh, there are buildings up there that are even higher than that. You're mentioning some other examples, a hospital as well? Yeah, so, and for that, that hospital, that was a requirement that uh, the government had put in place. They set their own uh, owner project requirements, OPR, that's an acronym that is common in the commissioning uh, field. So when the hospital uh, sets their owner requirements, on this one, it was a bit more uh, scaled down, just basically the fundamental basic uh, commissioning. And so we weren't involved in all of the meetings or all of the review of different shop drawings, but we were engaged to uh, provide feedback to the design team at certain milestones and then also to uh, log and track items at completion and then basically pass over all of that uh, final report and documentation in the end to the client so that they have it from an independent third party. Got it. And that was really your only role on that project? Correct. And so, like I said, at the start, you can provide the basic fundamental services all the way up to like enhanced plus commissioning services. You also mentioned examples on the West and East Coast without necessarily naming the clients. What types of buildings were those? Yeah, so sometimes uh, new condominiums, residential buildings are even asking for, uh, they might not define it as commissioning, but they're asking for building envelope assistance in uh, working on the a new 18-story high-rise that they're trying to put up. Um, on the East Coast out in Newfoundland, it was actually another uh, medical care facility. And so working with the clients there, we had to uh, come up with uh, the, the what they were going to define as their project requirements and then work as a project team with the uh, designers to ensure that the building they got in the end was what they were paying for. It sounds like the main concern you've been finding with existing construction and new construction is in how good a job of sealing has been done. Yes, and but I would also say there's a need for considering the thermal bridges, mm-hmm. which obviously locations where even by simply reviewing drawings, you can see that there are going to be locations that the uh, cold air or the cold is able to transfer in the winter months from the exterior in inside due to the location of clips for the cladding due to the mullions in the different window sections or just the lack of insulation uh, on the interior and so that would be another thing i would say that we always obviously look for would be in reviewing the design drawings what uh, are there any locations that have not have been that have been missed for uh, thermal bridges where where they will occur, 
But then, yes, constructability uh, is also something. It, it can look great on a 2D drawing, but then when you get out into the field and have you actually see all these different components coming together and there's a transition between the, the windows into the cladding system or from the windows up into the roof systems, those are always the hardest details uh, to construct on site. And it's typically the location where the one subtrades work ends and that next subtrades work uh, begins and who's responsible for that transition they both kind of wash their hands and say, oops, I thought that was going to be you. Is that at all avoidable? I would say, yes, it is avoidable. And we have seen uh, some of the good builders and contractors make a point of when they hire and work with their subtrades, having meetings and saying, you are responsible for this and clearly laying it out and not just uh, leaving it to chance to define who's going to actually do that tie in. And so whether that's the um, general contractor who's kind of making that call or whether that's input provided by the commissioning agent, uh, maybe at a meeting encouraging and saying, okay, who's gonna do this transition or whether not just the commissioning agent, but the building envelope uh, consultant or designer who's on the uh, team with the architect, they could chime in at any of these meetings or on site and say, we need clarification as to who is doing this, uh, the transition between the windows and the cladding or the windows and the roof. It certainly sounds like an opportunity for that person to provide that service and increase their perceived value within part of the process. Yeah, except if they've uh, already given their price and they didn't include that in their price, <laughs> <laughs> then uh, then it, sometimes it becomes, a, well, we thought they were going to do it, so we need extra, uh, it becomes a change order item. But it's it, it's better to have it be a change order item at that stage in the process of the building going up than for it to be a large repair project in the first or second or third year of uh, the building's life when everyone realizes that the uh, tie-in between the roof and the walls was not properly done. And do you think, therefore, savvy clients will start to expect that? Yes, I believe so. You also mentioned thermal bridging, and that brought to mind a question are you seeing a push toward more so-called resilient buildings where if the power goes out, the building envelope is sealed tight enough that the inside won't vary so much in temperature that it becomes an issue and has to be evacuated? Yeah, most definitely. Back to that example about the buildings with low air changes per hour. I think we have just become maybe too accustomed in 1970s, 1980s, even 90s, 1990s buildings to just recognizing, oh, well, yeah, we're heating the inside, but that heat is just going to escape relatively quickly, even though we don't see it. <laughs> and so we're, we're heating the inside, but then it's quickly going to the outside. Whereas if the building has less than one air changes per hour, then it is much more resilient because if the power goes out uh, and you can't heat the building for 12 hours, which building would you want to be in? Obviously, you want to be in the one that has... Uh, is more is tighter and uh, will stay warmer fast longer. And with that in mind, is there a certain scale of building? We've been talking about universities and hospitals where it becomes feasible for commissioning to save enough money to easily justify itself. Yeah, the the client, the university client that I was mentioning here in southern Ontario, they have made that decision and said we have seen that it is more cost effective for us to hire a commissioning agent for you guys to be involved at the start of this process rather than have us uh, involved later on 
to uh, resolve problems. And so the, I think clients have started to see it as uh, a financial incentive for them upfront to engage a commissioning agent. I think that we have also seen governments and standards and guidelines push toward this because they also uh, are wanting to have building stock that uh, reduces greenhouse gas, em gas emissions and is better for our climate and environment. And so it's an important part of uh, the process and more clients are getting involved in seeing commissioning as not just an add-on, but as something that helps them in helps them save money. So would you say that our readers, being consulting engineers, need to emphasize this more, need to offer this more proactively as a service to their clients, need to just emphasize the need for it? Yeah, I would say that our consulting engineering industry is going to see this service uh, continue to pick up in the next five, ten years. It's not going away. Uh, we all recognize that we need to build uh, better buildings. And so this is uh, this is something that will be on the lips of our clients. And so we as engineers need to be able to uh, speak into uh, into that. You mentioned off the top modeling and simulation. How are you seeing those models pan out in the commissioning process? Do the models mostly get it right or is there a lot of error there? I would say they're mostly right. The You can spend anywhere from a few hours to multiple days and weeks doing models. And so uh, it depends on the level of precision of your model. If you're just looking for a, a general uh, feel of how the building is going to perform, then those models are obviously not as precise, but give a general idea of how building might perform. When you get into the more complicated uh, models where if our team has been involved doing the uh, AutoCAD and Revit 3D modeling, and then you can take that and bring it right in and use that in your model, you basically have the drawings already and you can use uh, that to come up with a more precise model. Sometimes when we have the more precise model, however, it, because the model is so precise, the constructability on site needs to be tight and well done. And so if there's a difference, uh, sometimes that, that's where we see it, where if we've done a great model, but then the on-site performance doesn't match that uh, great model, we obviously know there are some uh, things that either are more difficult out in the field or can't be done out in the field. Um, so we're seeing there's some differences in, in that example. David, you've done a great job of giving us the whole picture here. Peter, thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this inaugural Better Buildings podcast. I'm Peter Saunders, editor of Canadian Consulting Engineer. This podcast is available on all major platforms, so please do subscribe. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.